Are you drinking? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Can't stop now. All righty. Welcome back to True Crime Tried. It's a podcast. You've heard of podcasts before. You're listening to one right now. We talk about things when, after the planets align. Sometimes they don't. But we like to talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your host, Hannah. And Meredith. And welcome to episode 69. 69. No Sarah still. <laughs> no, she's still working hard. She might be drinking hard right at this particular time point. She's on her break, like she finished working. Well, it's Eastern time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully she's drinking. They do close the lab by like 10 p.m. And then there's a bar that I forgot the name of that you go hang out at. It's all good shit, man. Yeah, it's close to midnight over there then. So hopefully she's drinking or sleeping. Drinking and then sleeping. Yes. That's how I remember. It's a good combination. I am also been drinking, not sleeping. <laughs> I was looking at my high school yearbook. I am better now. <laughs> Anyone from my class listen to this podcast, FAA class of 2004, hit us up. <laughs> All right. Biznatch. Biznatch. All right. I have a few things. So number one is I just wanted to give another shout out and a big thank you to Caitlin for guest hosting last week. Oh, that was awesome. We very much enjoyed having you participate with us and hope that you will do it again in the future. Andy had not listened to the episode yet when we recorded on Monday, so I, I have not got a review. All right. Well, we'll wait for that. From a boy. Very high school of me. <laughs> and we've also had an uptick in our German listeners. So, <gasps> hello. Ah, guten Tag. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to start learning German tomorrow. Okay. I would love Maybe. to learn German as well. I would actually really like to. And I think the next one I'm going to do is probably going to be big boy. I think he's Austrian. Okay. Just like a German cousin. Yeah. So I'll still stumble and have a lot of issues with pronunciation, but I'm glad you're here, Germany. I love you. I had a great time in Munich. I also had a wonderful time in Germany, and that is where I got to drink alcohol at a pub for the first time, even though I was 12. Uh, Lunch beers, uh, cheaper than water, and a fucking pretzel, and some sausage. Just That is my life. I did just get my blood test results back, and I have high cholesterol, so maybe I shouldn't do that, but... Fuck it. We only live once. I want to be happy. That's exactly right. Speaking of pretzels, so I just got back from our family vacation with my in-laws to Leavenworth, Washington. Oh, yeah. And if you're unfamiliar with Leavenworth, it is a Bavarian touristy town. I've never been. It is so much fun. It looks cute. And all I wanted was a pretzel, right? That's all I wanted. And so we had done a little shopping in town. It was like 95 degrees. So we were like calling it quits for like being in town. 
We had just eaten some lunch, and then they were like, well, let's get you that pretzel. And I was like, ooh, barf, I can't eat a pretzel right now. But we went back to the house that we rented, and it had a pool, so we did some swimming, and we get done, and I was like, I really want a pretzel. And my sweet, sweet husband got in the car and drove back to town to go pick up my pretzel. And my father-in-law was like, did you seriously just send him back to town to get a pretzel? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I did. And so he shows up back at the house and this pretzel is in a pizza box because it is holy shit ginormous. And it had all sorts of lovely like beer cheese fondue and mustard Mustard. and all sorts of good stuff. So we really enjoyed our pretzel last night. I have two pretzel thoughts. Are we still talking about pretzels? Yeah, we're still talking about pretzels. Number one, we're going to lose all of our German listeners right now because I also ordered some pretzels through DoorDash from Applebee's uh, two days ago. (laughs) They weren't bad. But uh, in a pinch, it satisfies the craving. It satisfied the craving. They forgot to give me my mustard, but I have a variety of mustard that I have in the refrigerator. Okay. I was ready for that. Well, that's cool. When you want a pretzel, you just <sighs> want a pretzel. pretzel. <laughs> and the other thing is, your craving for a pretzel made me realize that I never got to Vegas and I never got the lobster roll craving fulfilled. Funny story is I talked about that while we were down there. And Amber and Austin, they had been before and they had gone to that place, which I can't remember the name of now, but they said they they basically just got the shits from it. Oh, all right. Maybe Spirit Airlines give me one good thing. Because I was like, oh, I want to go and do this. And they were like, ooh, bad idea. I was like, well, fair enough. We'll bypass that. So I guess we're going to just have to go to Maine to to do that. Like, get straight from the source. Maryland, Rhode Island. Yeah. Get some crabs in Baltimore. Yeah, something. We'll put that on the TCT's bucket list of places to go and food to eat. We have a big bucket list. <laughs> so the food pairing for tonight, even though it's, like, totally unrelated to my case, will be pretzels. And you can... DoorDash them from Applebee's if you are in America. Not bad. Yeah, this pretzel was phenomenal. Yeah, I don't have that to say about it, but I have not bad. Oh, and also my daughter found a pillow in this little like boutique shop that looks just like our cat donut. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. Aww. I did listen to the Marcus Wesson episode, and that was earlier today when I wasn't drinking, and I had thoughts, and I forgot them all. Okay. They might come up later. We'll see. We'll bring it to you in another episode. Dude, I was looking at my senior year book, which was mm-hmm. when the Marcus Wesson case took place. Oh. And there's a picture in there of my English teacher and her husband. <laughs> <laughs> They came to the Christmas banquet because we couldn't have a dance. It was a banquet because we were having to. You're like, this is so appropriate. It's like, oh, hey. Hey there, Pete Jones. (laughs) Well, I just have to give a caveat to this episode that I was on vacation and I was drinking a lot, which is what I normally do on vacation. And I wrote most of this script while drunk on my family vacation. So, well, I'm here to listen to it drunk. 
I accidentally pre-game this episode. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> because I was so drunk while I wrote this episode, because I was like, no, 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 I got to like write. And then I'd pour another drink and then I'd write a little bit and then I'd pour another drink and then I'd forget. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm still uh. writing. So I'd sit down again. But anyways, I am just as excited to read the story as you are to hear <laughs> the story. Tonight, I picked a Black Widow case, and this story is steeped in controversy because many people believe that the circumstances of a lifetime of mental, physical, and sexual abuse led to these crimes, while others Fair. believe that these were cold, calculated, premeditated murders for the purpose of financial gain. Why not both? It could be. It may be a combination of both. For those of our listeners that may be sensitive to domestic abuse and incest, you may want to take a pass on this one. And last week's. And last week's. <laughs> but it's not going to be as descriptive as episode 15, Tin Can Holler, but there are hmm. some elements of that stuff. So this story starts in North Carolina, but we will end up in the Lone Star State in a small town called Gun Barrel City. <laughs> that is so Texas. I know, right? <laughs> it is located about 55 miles southeast of Dallas, and it is on the eastern shore of the Cedar Creek Lake or Reservoir. With a name like that, you would not be surprised to learn that the town motto is, We shoot straight with you. Oh my god. I get it, guys. Oh, uh, Texas. Uh, oh, puns. I was going to say, guns up. But right? I like, theirs is actually better. There's like two meanings to it. Fine, Texas. Fucking have it. The city was incorporated on my birthday in 1960, so well before <laughs> I was born. But on my birthday, May 26th. A lot of things happened on your birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So far, it's been serial killers being born. But this is this is something different. Right, row <laughs> the city was incorporated just after the construction of this reservoir. So essentially, this lake, the Cedar Creek Lake, is man-made. And as of 2020, the population was 6,160 people. So it definitely qualifies as that small town. Mm -hmm. And even though Sarah is still working hard in Massachusetts or drinking or sleeping... I thought she'd enjoy learning that Texas's state reptile is a horned lizard. Oh, she would love that. Right? Oh, man. And since we are also missing Sarah so much, I am going to bring you a Pisces tonight. Oh, she is very Pisces. It's, I feel like it's been forever since we've talked to her. Sarah, we miss you. Sarah, we miss you. Here's a Pisces that killed a bunch of men, so take notes. How's Kirk doing? <laughs> Alive, right? Hi, Kirk. <laughs> I don't have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> well, the story that I have for you tonight is the story of Betty Lou Beats. Have you heard of her? I don't know why that sounds familiar. It like clicked a little thing in my brain, but I my brain's dumb and is full of holes, so it just could be a mistake or I like the name. Well, it was very publicized, but this was also in like the 80s, but it went on into the 2000s. Okay. We'll see how it goes. I'll see if I remember as you tell it. Betty's parents, Margaret Louise Smithwick. Smithwick. 
Isn't that the name of the beer from Alice Kaito? <gasps> oh my god, it totally is. I think I might. It might not be, but it totally is. <laughs> it's similar. <laughs> Can you imagine how good a teacher I am? I say everything with so much confidence, but it might not be true. And for those gullible students, they're like, "We totally believe you." <laughs> <laughs> I met my cashier at Trader Joe's today. As we were talking and he found out he's, I was a microbiology major. And he's like, the only thing I remember from biology is osmosis is the movement of water. And I was like, well, that is correct-ish. So you remember <laughs> one good thing. You're like, partially. There's more to it, but like, well, oh, it's fine. It's more than the mito- mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Anyways. Anyways. Back to Betty and sorry, mother that had a... Last name that may have been the same name as the beer in Alice Kyteller's story. Yes. Margaret Louise Smithwick and James Garland Dunavant were married on March 10th of 1934 by a Baptist minister. Oh, the Baptist. I know this because I found their marriage certificate in Ancestry Records, which I love historical records this was so fun and whoever filled out their marriage certificate had really great cursive writing and that's not really a thing anymore but i really appreciated their penmanship i switched between cursive and non-cursive i generally like bold and in uppercase all the time so i'm just yelling all over the place (laughs) (laughs) listen to me betty was born on march 12th of 1937 to margaret and james dunavant she was almost an anniversary present Mm -hmm. she was born in roxborough north carolina and betty's parents were poor tobacco sharecroppers and we've talked about sharecroppers before So essentially, they rent the land and a part of the proceeds of the crops go to whoever actually owns the land that they're farming. They lived in an old shack that did not have window panes, water, or electricity. Fun. When Betty was around five years old, she contracted measles, which was a thing. Again, people get (laughs) vaccinated. Get your vaccines, bitches. And... Due to the virus, the measles virus, she ran a high fever for several days and they like couldn't get the fever to go down. She almost died, but eventually she did recover. However, it left her hearing impaired for the rest of her life. Okay. This impairment would prove to be extremely challenging for Betty, especially because at the time, children with disabilities were basically shunned in society. Yeah. Betty would eventually teach herself to read lips, which allowed her to kind of cope with school and life. So it was that severe of a disability. Mm -hmm. Damn. But she never received any actual assistance for her disability from her parents or from her school district or anything. So she was just kind of like on her own with this disability. And then just as a side note, Betty was born in 37, so 42. So right around when she was five years old, right? So she's going into school and she's not getting the assistance that she needs. So On November 29th of 1975, President Gerald Ford signed into law the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, 
which was renamed to Individuals with Disabilities Act, which is what it's called now. This act was to support states and local governments in protecting the rights of meeting an individual's needs and improving the results for infants, toddlers, children, and youth with disabilities, and also a level of support for their families in how to cope with their disabilities. Before this, though, many children were denied access to education and opportunities to learn. In 1970, Mm -hmm. only one in five children with disabilities were actually even being educated. And then you have someone like Betty who's like, She's there, but she can't hear it. So right? does it count? <laughs> well, and she's she's trying to cope with it in her own methods. But again, you know, she should have had some sort of assistance, but it just was not available at that time, which is super sad. As a nearly blind person, I spent my entire elementary high school with no glasses, completely dependent on my hearing. It's crazy. I'm just recently blind. so It would have been nice to see the board. Yeah. So there were also many states at the time that actually had laws in place to specifically exclude children that were deaf, blind, emotionally disturbed, or had any sort of intellectual disability. So they were like, no, we don't want you. I kind of see it because if if it's anything like today, the classes are so full, Mm -hmm. teachers can't deal with the outliers they have to focus on the people in the the average because that's the most they can reach but it sounds like they didn't have anywhere to put them (laughs) yeah and so now in today's day and age right there are special education classes where the students have a dedicated teacher or multiple teachers where they can focus their attention on the individual students and those classes are much smaller so there is more assistance nowadays I'm not saying that it's 100% or it's Uh, great or anything like that but there is an avenue of assistance where back in Betty's day there wasn't anything there was just nothing for her so she was really on her own and to like be that way like in kindergarten going forward it just breaks my heart Because my daughter, she just got done with first grade. I'm here to help her. Her school's there to help her. Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine a child that's just, like, trying to go it on their own. Like, it just, it's super, super sad. But. Yeah. In 1942, the Denevents would move to Danville, Virginia. Some say Hampton, Virginia. They're quite a bit apart I'm going to go with Danville. (laughs) More places said Danville than it did Hampton, but whatever. They moved to Virginia. Fine. Around this time, again, she's five, is when her father began to sexually abuse her. Motherfucker. Yeah, it's gross. And sadly, this type of abuse was not uncommon. And later, Betty would recall, quote, I didn't know what rape was for many years to come, end quote. Mm-mm. It's really, really heartbreaking. Yeah. But it's not untrue. Yeah. There was some mixed information about her siblings, but it does appear that she had an older brother named Dewey who was born in 1935, though I'm not sure if he was a half-brother or not. I'm thinking he was a half-brother because he was not mentioned in... Margaret's obituary. So I think that might have been. 
<laughs> That's kind of a snub. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either like they didn't, they like disavowed him or whatever. Yeah. Or he wasn't her son. <laughs> or he was just James's son from a previous relationship. There wasn't a, a lot more information on Margaret and James, but she did have two younger siblings. Jimmy was born in 1945 and then Annie Jacqueline or Jackie was born in 1947. In 1949, Betty's mother, Margaret, was institutionalized. Oh, great. Betty was forced to leave school. She's 12 to take care of her younger siblings. Margaret was in the hospital for several months. Weren't they in school? No. No, they, they were still little. They were... There's a big age gap between There them. is, yeah. So Jimmy was born in 1945, so he would be four, and then Jackie would be two. Yeah. Something like that. But okay. so she's 12, and she was basically forced to take care of her siblings, prepare meals, do the grocery shopping, clean the house, do the be wash. the mom role since the mother was gone, and yeah. already the being the wife role. Yeah. And for most accounts, the abuse from her father continued. And then there were some articles that indicated that James also allowed his friends to come over and sexually abuse Good Betty. Fucking God, what is wrong with people? I don't know. But as sad as it sounds, it's not uncommon for this time for this to occur. I know. And that's disgusting. It's fucking horrible. So as you can guess, life for Betty was pretty much like fucking hell. And Margaret would eventually return home, but she would suffer another mental break in 1949 where she was institutionalized again for a a shorter period of time. But her mom had some serious mental health issues. And Betty also was developing some pretty severe mental health issues as well. Fair. She really felt like the only way to kind of get out of her situation was to leave the house. And back in that day, really the only way to leave the house was to get married. Yeah. The age of 15, Mm. on July 18th of 1952, Betty married Robert Branson, who was 19. Fine. It's, It's okay. According to Betty, their first year of marriage was good. However, the honeymoon phase would not last. Betty and Robert welcomed their first child in 1953. That's right, she's 16. Jesus Christ. She's a baby herself. And they had a daughter named Faye. This would be a very tumultuous year for Betty because, as according to Betty, Robert became abusive towards her and he was also very controlling. Now, a year later, you start doing that, sir? What the fuck? And I don't know if it had to do with her having the child or... I'm not sure. It didn't really say. They ended up separating for six months. And during that separation, Betty did attempt suicide. What we have to keep in mind is that Betty's 16 years old. She really never had the chance to be a child herself. And now she's married and she has a young child while she's still just a child yeah betty would reconcile with robert the same year and then they welcomed their second daughter connie in 1954 the couple moved their young family to mesquite texas and by 1966 the couple had welcomed four more children ah okay 1959 shirley was born 1962 phyllis was born 
1964, Robert II was born, and 1966, Bobby was born. Now, according to Shirley, she's one of the middle daughters in an interview, they had a normal and loving family. Her father, Robert, was compassionate, and he cared deeply for Betty and all of their children. Some sources said that after having Bobby, Betty began to go out to bars and party with any man that would give her any sort of physical attention. Well, she never ever was single. Right? Like, she never experienced that, if that's... Well, A, she never got to be a child. B, she never got to be a teenager. teenager. Right? it, It was like... It's a lot. Yeah, it was like married adults since you were like 10. Right? And so there wasn't a lot of information about why Betty was seeking attention from other men, like if Robert was gone a lot or, you know, if he was just very controlling. But I mean, if he was, then she probably wouldn't be let out to like go and do these things. I don't know. But Hmm. Robert found out that she was straying in their marriage And in 1969, he divorced Betty. Just flat out. We're done. Okay. In a divorce in the 1960s, who gets the kids? Betty did. Oh, God damn. Thanks, sir. (laughs) So this is kind of where perspectives begin to change. And they change pretty wildly. So you have Betty's perspective and then you have her children's perspective. I will say there are very different perspectives, though. Mm-hmm. They would almost never see the same thing, I think. Like, even if it was a good thing. And in this case, it's a really bad thing. Well, I thought so, but... <laughs> Robert leaving Betty was super difficult, clearly. And he just got to leave. He just left. Betty could even have a bank account. I know, right? Jesus Christ, okay. And for Betty, her whole life had been either a wife a mother, a homemaker, yeah. and and this has been for the last 17 to 18 years. Well, she's still growing up and finding herself. Or not finding herself because she was stuck in these roles. Mm-hmm. She had dropped out of school. She had no real-world skills that would help her care for herself or her six children. Six kids. Six kids. How old was the oldest kid at this point? Faye was the first one, and she was born in 1953, so now we're in 1969. So she could take care of the kids. Like, she could pick up some slack. Sorry, Faye. Being the firstborn sucks. So she was about 16, but I think she was, like, on her way out of the house as well. And I think even the next child, Connie, who was born in 1954, like, moving towards being out of the house. Because a lot of the story and a lot of the information comes from, like, the fourth child, Shirley. Okay. So Betty would admit that she turned to alcohol to comfort her and that she would go... I know, (laughs) as we're both fucking drinking. (laughs) Excuse me? I'm not crying yet, but I probably will later. (laughs) And that she would go out on occasion so that the children would not see her drinking and socializing. Betty went to the local welfare office to see about getting some financial help and some, like, job training. Mm -hmm. She was supposed to receive $250 a month in welfare, but did not qualify. Why? Robert could afford to pay that. Did he pay it? No. 
the laws about welfare out that time are a little bit sketchy. I did try to do a little dive, but again, when I was drinking and writing, <laughs> it was kind of hard to focus sometimes. So anyways, essentially, like, welfare's like, Robert can cover it. Robert's like, fuck off. Jesus. So Robert would occasionally pay her $50 a month. Sir, what? Right. Occasionally. And she was getting yeah. from welfare $50 a month. To care for six children. I think at this time it was more like four because I do think the other two moved out. Mm -hmm. And so Betty admitted that as the children got older, it started to become easier financially, which of course, yes, as you have less mouths to feed, it becomes easier financially. And Betty would end up working as either a waitress or a cashier and this would be for most of her life so she didn't really get any like job training but was able to get these kind of she got a job yeah she ended up being able to get a job and in a lot of cases she worked two jobs to get money to support the kids so like I said about perspectives according to Betty's daughter Shirley and she did an interview with Investigation Discovery in a show called Evil Lives Here. After the divorce, Betty's personality changed. And so Shirley kind of tells the story. Well, yeah, of, maybe it fucking did. This was a shit situation. But from Shirley's perspective, like her mom started taking her to like stalk her dad and see what he was doing. She would offer her daughter beer, things like that's that. That's weird. Right. Stalking the dad, I I think I'm fine with because he's not paying any money. Well, yeah. To be fair, I, I get it. But according to Shirley, she really, she just wasn't that loving, nurturing mother that she had been before. And she started to become very abusive verbally uh. and then started to become very abusive physically with Shirley and the younger children. And so, according to her, well, she said, occasionally I went out, right? Shirley said her mom was out for days at a time and wouldn't come home. And then when she did, she usually had a man with her. And it just was not a good situation in her, in Shirley's perspective for herself or the younger siblings. To be honest. And like, if you watch this documentary, And this interview with Shirley, like, and the emotion that she presents, like, it's hard not to empathize with Shirley and be like, wow, Mm -hmm. that was super fucked up. I mean, you empathize with both of them, but like, yeah, they were children. They're kind of in the same situation. I mean, right, they're, they're not having the sexual abuse, but they're still getting this verbal and mental abuse from someone who's supposed to love them the most. And that's going to just fuck you up forever. Oh, yeah. If you watch this interview, like, she's still very much damaged. She is not okay. I I understand. Like, it's, ugh, man. It's rough. It's fucked up all around. Mm -hmm. But I'll say Betty was also completely fucked up. She didn't know. She never had a good parental model either. No, and she didn't know how to cope with any of that either. So, again, you get, like, these mixed feelings. You can feel bad for both of them, but yeah, kids. Right, she was a kid at one point. I don't know. Yeah, I feel bad for both all everybody. Yeah, except for Robert. Robert can suck my dick. <laughs> Seriously, 
50 bucks a month for six fucking kids. Occasionally. All right. This one tastes vastly different than the last one, but we're going <laughs> for it. <laughs> Boom. I figured I still needed to like maintain my drunk level from the last five days. So I've got two tall boys that are like 7%. I saw you had a tall boy. I've had two doubles. Ooh. Dibbles so far. And I'll probably get another beer during this, but. Well, it didn't take long for Betty to bring home a man to stay. And this man was Billy Lane. So they started dating. Betty was about 33. They started dating. And within a few months, Billy proposed. How romantic. On July 28th of 1970, right? She just got divorced the year before in 1969. I just don't understand how fast people move. But Betty and Billy got married. Now, according to Shirley, (laughs) Billy had a bad temper and he was physically and verbally abusive to Betty. She didn't say anything about to the kids, but to Betty, he was very, very abusive. I will say for Betty's... From Betty's side, she had never been alone before. No. And, like, if you have never experienced that, like, and you have, like, four to six kids to take care of, you don't exactly have time to, like, heal yourself, to be honest. And so you're just trying to fill this this gap and move forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And she didn't even have the capacity to understand all the gaps she needed to fill, right? So this was just one that she could fill like pretty quickly. I'm selfish enough to not have any kids, so I can definitely like crumble and not know what's happening and try to fix myself. But like, no one's counting on me besides the cats, right? And that's a whole different situation. And they have automatic feeders. They do, so they can actually live alone for a while. <laughs> so by October of 1970, so mind you, they got married in July, the end of July. By October of 1970, Betty had filed a restraining order against Billy, and they got divorced. The relationship was not yet over, and they reconciled, but they continued to fight. They're not married, they're divorced, but they were still seeing each other on and off again. In June of 1971, Billy broke Betty's nose. Nuh-uh. According to Shirley, it was after that altercation that Betty asked her, her daughter, to kill Billy. How old was Shirley at the time? She's nine. Nine? Give or take. I don't even know how to kill somebody when I was nine. There was a roadmap, unfortunately. Again, I encourage anyone to listen to that investigation, discovery. Evil lives here. Mama made me do it. It was the name of the episode. (gasps) It's so sad, but Betty asked Shirley to kill Billy. Oh, God. During an altercation between Billy and Betty, Shirley went into Betty's purse and grabbed her 22 Derringer pistol, and she pointed it at Billy, but she, she couldn't pull the trigger, right? But she was like, get away from my mom. Billy's son, like, intervened okay. and took the pistol away from Shirley And they kind of left the house. It almost diffused the situation, but there was still, like, tension between Betty and Billy because of it, right? And then on January 18th of 1972, Betty shot Billy. She was charged with attempted murder, but Billy signed an affidavit saying... Oh, he didn't die? No, he lived. 
Billy signed an affidavit stating that he had threatened Betty's life. The charges were reduced to the misdemeanor of aggravated assault, okay. and Betty pled guilty to that. She was fined $100 plus $50 in court fees, and the judge actually returned to her that twenty two caliber pistol that she used to shoot Billy. <laughs> well, he had threatened her. She might need it back. And then, oddly enough, Betty and Billy got remarried after the trial. I don't know if it's that odd. It's a cycle of abuse. but It is. That sucks. However, their marriage would only last one more month, and then they divorced again, and this time it was for good. <laughs> Betty was back to her old ways again after the divorce, and she was, she was spending nights out on the town and getting drunk and hooking up with men. And in November of 1973, Betty, at 36, met Ronnie Threckold. Okay. According to Shirley, who by this point had moved out of the house, Ronnie was a nice guy. He's like 15? Yeah. And she okay. had moved out and gotten married. No. Oh, my God. Okay. Right. So, according to Shirley, right, Ronnie's a nice guy. Betty, however... Uh -huh said that Ronnie was verbally and physically abusive to her. Betty may not be a nice guy after all, everything she's been through. Right. So Shirley recounted stopping by her mom's house one day, and she's, like, sitting in the kitchen. Her mom's not home yet. She's sitting in the kitchen. She's talking to Ronnie. And Betty comes in the door, and she looks at the two of them, like, sitting there at the kitchen table, and they're, you know, eating and chatting. And Betty flies into a fucking rage. She's accusatory, like, you're trying to steal my man. Oh, my God. What the fuck is wrong with you? You can't keep a man of your own. You're, like, super aggressive. Oh, my God. That's so much from your mom. Right? And Shirley's like... I was just sitting here having a conversation while I was waiting for you. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to steal your man. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But Betty was so insecure with herself, right, that even her children posed a threat to her. Not unlike last week's episode uh, and Marcus with his sons, right? I'm not sure if Marcus Wesson was insecure, though. Well, he was just a fucking psychopath. But in this case, I really feel like Betty was super insecure with herself. I could see that for her after her, what she's been through so far. Yeah. Yeah. Betty and Ronnie actually married on February 16th of 1978. So they dated for some years. After okay. this particular incident with Shirley, though, Betty tried to run Ronnie over with her car. Ronnie, get out. I know, right? <laughs> He did take it as a sign and was like, peace be with you, Betty. I mean, it's sad, but it's like, he does sound like he was a nice guy. And he's just like, I can't. Betty was a lot, right? So he, it didn't sound like he was really equipped to deal with that. And then just as no. a side note, Betty, at the age of 40, finally got hearing aids to help with her disability. I had forgotten that she couldn't hear this whole time. Right. How was she communicating? Just like lip reading? Yeah. She taught herself how to read lips and she just kind of coped with her disability. Okay. For 40 years. I mean, it's insane. And then at the age of 42, and I think at this time her and Ronnie were split up, but like still married. 
She tried to hit him with her car. It's a big deal. I'll take that as a sign. But because they're like not cohabitating and stuff, to make some extra money, Betty started topless dancing in 1979. At 40? 42. Ah, uh, you're never too young. You're Mm-mm. never too old. Is I guess what I was trying to say. <laughs> right. Okay, hold on a second. Those are six kid titties. Uh huh. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> I have one kid titties, and they're sad. Anyways, I mean, I have zero kid titties, and they're not very exciting. There's a, like a titty intermediacy that we might find someday, but I don't know what it is. The other thing I wanted to do in Vegas was go to a strip club. I didn't do that either. No, we didn't do that either. Well, next time. Next time. Actually, next time we're going to Walla Walla. Is there a strip club in Walla Walla? I have no idea. I might ask Marty. Google it. (laughs) Let me Google it. (laughs) There's definitely one in Tri-Cities. Okay. We can make a little road trip to the road trip. Mm -hmm. This pillow that looks like Donut is so cute. Isn't it adorable? Oh oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Betty starts topless dancing. She's 42. It's 1979. This came as a shock to pretty much everyone who knew her because she was very concerned about nudity. And this was due to the abuse that she suffered at the hands of her father and his friends. So she was very modest in a lot of ways because of that abuse that she had incurred. So... There was an incident at the strip club where Betty's pasty had fallen off and she allowed a customer to help her put it back on. In the audience that evening was an undercover police officer. Oh, no. Who arrested Betty for public lewdness. And she ended up spending 30 days in jail. Okay. I hope she got a fucking tip from that guy. Hopefully. That helped her put the pasty back on? It probably was the undercover police officer. It didn't say, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> he wouldn't give a tip. Nope. So, Ronnie and Betty did get divorced. So, they're finito. Again, okay. this is 1979. By October of 1979, Betty had met another man named Doyle Wayne Barker. And he went by Wayne. Okay. On October 3rd of 1973, they actually got married. So this is husband number four. Time frame. I know. And Wayne was not much more than the town drunk, according to most people. He was also extremely verbally and physically abusive to Betty. Within seven weeks of their marriage... Their relationship had deteriorated and Wayne moved out of the house they lived in. And the house was actually in Wayne's name. Betty wanted to get a divorce, but she learned that Wayne would get to keep the house because it was in his name. Uh And so according to Shirley, Betty called her and told her that she was going to kill Wayne. Stop telling your kids about your plans. Right. Shirley told Betty, just sign the divorce papers and get on with your life. You've done it two times already. You can do it again. Three times now. Three times? I I lost track. It's been a lot. Wayne's number four. So. Okay. Oh, yeah. He totally is. Okay. Wayne left town suddenly in 1981. 
and Betty was able to keep the house. We will talk a little bit more about Wayne later as he resurfaces in an unexpected way. Okay. So life seemed to calm down a bit for Betty. Her children had started to have children of their own, and now she's a grandmother. By this point, I think only one of the kids still lived with her, and that was the youngest. Betty was still looking for love, and it wouldn't be too long before she met a retired Dallas Fire Department captain named Jimmy Don Beats. I do admire her persistence because I've given up completely. Right? I would have just went full cat lady by this point. I was like, no. I would have gone full cat lady by like number one, honestly. I'm going full cat lady right now and I'm 35. <laughs> and there's two cats looking at me right now. Oh, and he has little paws up and his little like merp. Aw, so oh. cute. And a According to Shirley, Jimmy was a really good man. He treated Betty right. He never raised a hand to her. He never even raised his voice to Betty. And the pair got married on August 19th of 1982. And things seemed to be going really well for Betty and Jimmy. But as always, it's not going to last. Yeah. On August 6th of 1983... So this is just 352 days after Betty and Jimmy <laughs> said I do. Betty called the police to report her husband missing. Okay. She told police officers that Jimmy had gone fishing out on Cedar River Lake or the reservoir and that he had not returned home. She had already had four divorces. It might be time for something new. <laughs> on August 12th of 1983, officers located Jimmy's boat drifting near Redwood Beach Marina. Inside the boat, officers found Jimmy's fishing license, a life jacket, and some nitroglycerin pills. Okay, weird third part. Jimmy took nitroglycerin pills for a coronary artery disease, and basically these pills were to help Jimmy when he had episodes of chest pain. Okay, so he had to bring them with him, like my anxiety pills. For panic attacks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for the heart, like a real health problem. <laughs> well, anxiety is a real anxiety issue. Anxiety is real. I it understand. Is. It's it just is. It hurts my mental brain to think about it. Yeah. So police from the Henderson County Sheriff's Department, Texas Parks and Wildlife agents, and a number of fire department employees, right, because Jimmy's a retired oh, fire yeah. department captain, they spent three weeks dredging the lake, but mm -hmm. they were not successful in locating Jimmy's body. Without a body, there's mm -hmm. really not much to go on. So they, the police kind of just assumed that what Betty was telling them was accurate, that he'd gone fishing and he had never come home. There's really nothing else to say otherwise. So police ruled Jimmy's death an accident. In 1984, Betty burned down Jimmy's lake house for some unknown reason. It did not say why. <laughs> okay, sure. My guess is insurance money, but it didn't really go into that. It's a lot. It's a big step. Right. But law enforcement was like, huh. Yeah, that's why you don't do that. Right. 
And in February of 1985, so this is a few years after Jimmy had We're gone missing. so close to me being born. Betty filed for Jimmy's death certificate so she could collect on a $100,000 life insurance policy. So she waited. Mm-hmm. She was patient. I don't know that it's enough time, though, but I don't know what, like, huh. like sometimes it's seven years if there's no body, right? Yeah, no body makes it real complicated. It does. But she filed for the death certificate so she could collect on this insurance policy. And suspicions were high in the community and with the police. But because there was absolutely nothing to go on, right, the police yeah. were basically just left holding their dicks, so to speak. So to speak. However, a guilt-ridden and credible witness would come forward and provide details about Jimmy's death. Their name Shirley? Nope. Okay. It was definitely not an accident, and it definitely did not occur on the lake. Yep, makes sense. The case was reopened in the spring of 1985. Sheriff's Department investigator Rick Rose was able to obtain an arrest warrant for Betty based on this information. And she was taken into custody on June 8th of 1985, and she was booked into the Henderson County Jail. While awaiting her arraignment, Rose was able to execute an evidentiary search warrant for Beat's house and property. In the front yard, under an old wishing well, investigators <laughs> found the remains of Jimmy Don Beats. Under a wishing well? So, like... Was the well there before? It's an ornamental well. So it's not deep. No. Okay. But it's over top of where yeah. Jimmy Don was. Jimmy Don was wrapped in a sleeping bag and there were two bullet holes in his skull. All right. Accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Death by suicide. Ah. As the technicians carefully excavated the site, surprise... They also located another set of remains wrapped in another sleeping bag. REIs sponsor us. <laughs> Guess who? I don't remember. There's been so many. Fourth husband? Yes. Okay, thank you. Betty's fourth husband, Wayne Barker. He had three bullet holes in his skull. I thought he was a nice guy. No, he was not a nice guy. It was the one before that she tried to hit with the car. Oh, she just has very opposite reactions. Yeah. Wayne was the town drunk. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, my bad. So all five bullets were a thirty-eight caliber, which was the same caliber as the pistol that had been seized from the Beats' home during their search. Mm-hmm. And then Robert, or Robbie Branson II, so Betty's first oldest son, but he was like fifth down on the list of children, would later yeah. testify that on August 5th of 1983, Betty told him that she felt like she had to kill Jimmy before he started to abuse her. Mm, okay. So he hadn't actually abused her yet. Yeah. But she was anticipating his abuse. And to add to it, he had a sizable insurance policy and a good pension that she could collect from. So he, ah, goddamn. I know, right? Like, he may not have ever been planning to abuse her. Right? He's been, like, 
groomed to expect it. Right? Ah, fuck. It's like a double-sided coin here, right? This is really bad when I'm saying let him hit him once and then shoot him. Right? But still, like, he had never done anything. And according to everyone, Jimmy was like a really good good guy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but. You don't. But Robbie said that Betty had instructed him to leave the house so she could, quote, do what needed to be done, end quote. Okay. Robbie returned two hours later. Jimmy was dead on the floor with two gunshot wounds to the head. And then he helped bury the body under that ornamental wishing well in the front yard. Very helpful of him. It's his mom, though. I guess. I guess so. Investigators also interviewed Betty's daughter, Shirley, who did end up getting charged but not indicted. The charges were later dropped, but Shirley said that Betty had forced her to bury Wayne's body in October of 1981 Mm. after Betty had shot Wayne. And then she also admitted that Betty had told her the same thing she had told Robbie, right? That she wanted to kill Jimmy before he started to abuse her. I have something to say here. Okay. Don't get married then. Stay away from men. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're... In that situation. She's expecting two, now two in a row for husbands to beat her. Like, maybe it's time to just like... Be single. Be single, ready to mingle, mm-hmm. one night stand, take him home, but don't keep him. And you don't you don't have the kids anymore. Right. You're all grown up. Mm-hmm. You don't need to support him. Like, you know, figure out what your hobbies are. I guess that's killing your husbands, but get a different hobby. <laughs> yeah. One that's less like... Start a garden. Make bread. Make bread. Yeah, I was going to say, because, like, Dorothy Puente, um, she made a garden, and that yeah, was not... Yeah, gardens are bad. Yeah, that wasn't a good garden. I wanted to start a garden, but it has a bad vibe to it. <laughs> well, making bread is bad, too, because what's her face? Chianchilia. Oh, yeah, she made soap. Well, no, she made... Oh, she soap made and tea, tea cakes. cakes. She oh. made tea cakes. Leonarda. Oh. Leonarda. Yeah. All right, uh, Betty, paint. Oh, because then you'll be like Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Betty is a Pisces, and we'll talk a little bit about miss that you, later. <laughs> we do miss you, Sarah. All right, so now I'm going to get kind of the procedural part, so I'm going to try to hit this kind of quick. There's a lot of information. This went on for a long time, so... July 11th of 1985, Betty was indicted for the murder of Jimmy Don Beats for the purpose of remuneration, his pension, and the Mm -hmm. promise of remuneration, which was his life insurance policy. This in Texas is a capital offense. Betty pled not guilty. On October 11th of 1985, the jury found Betty guilty. On October 15th of 1985, so just a few days later, Betty was sentenced to death. Oh, well, it is Texas. It is. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. There was an automatic appeal to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. In their original opinion, the Court of Appeals actually reversed Betty's conviction for capital murder because it found that murder committed for the purpose of obtaining a pension and life insurance benefits did not technically meet the definition, the definition, the definition, (laughs) 
Sorry, I've been drinking. I'm on number two. We're all fine here. Tall boys. Woo! On September 21st of 1988, the state of Texas requested a rehearing of the case and the Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed Betty's conviction and sentence. And she's yeah. in custody in jail like this whole time. Like all And I've all been this born. Yes. And and Hannah's been born. A while ago now, but whatever. The US Supreme Court denied Betty's petition for a writ of and I'm gonna fuck this up even though <laughs> I spelled it out phonetically. Sershi Aurori. <laughs> no. Sershi Aurori? Does that sound right? I have no idea. Sershi Aurori. We're going with it. Sure. They denied Betty's petition for the writ of Sershi Aurori. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not right, but I have no idea what it should be. We're just going with it. Yep. Law listeners, please weigh in on my pronunciation of this word. <laughs> Sershi Aurori. We're going with it. So they denied it. On June 26th of 1989, essentially what it is, it's rare, but it's when the appellate court decides to review a case and it's kind of at their discretion. And so that word, certiorari, (laughs) comes from law Latin and it means to be more fully informed. And so it essentially orders the lower court to deliver its record and case so that the higher court then can review it. So they're asking for an additional review. Okay, but she didn't get it. We'll see. A lot of shit goes on here. Okay, I'm going to just chime in right now. Okay. Say that um, killing someone for the life insurance does seem like special circumstances to me. It does. Which is the California thing about you get the death penalty. And Texas is like, "Mm, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Betty's execution was scheduled for November 8th of 1989. They're fast. They're busy. They're efficient. (laughs) Yeah. October 16th of 1989, Betty's legal team filed a motion for a stay of the execution in order to allow time to prepare and file a state habeas corpus application. This is known as the Great Writ. Okay. And habeas corpus is a fundamental right in the Constitution that protects against unlawful and indefinite imprisonment. In Latin, it means show me the body. Habeas corpus has historically been an important instrument to safeguard individual freedom against arbitrary executive power. And this writ basically requires the person under arrest to be brought before a judge to secure the person's release unless lawful grounds are shown for their detention. So basically they're saying like not guilty kind of. Okay. And so there's a discussion about this and I'll bring that up in just a little bit. But on November 1st of 1989, Betty's legal team filed this writ of habeas corpus and the court actually stayed her execution. However, on June 27th of 1990, the Court of Criminal Appeals denied her request and on September 20th of 1990, the court set Betty's execution for December 6th of 1990. December 4th, 1990 is when Betty's legal team filed another writ of habeas corpus to the federal district court. 
And on January 22nd of 1991, that federal court granted another stay of execution. April 1st of 1991, the court had an evidentiary hearing to review the evidence. And on May 9th of 1991, they granted relief on one claim, but denied all of the other claims. So the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit affirmed the district court's decision to deny Betty's claims, and they reversed the judgment on the district court for the one granted relief, March 18th of 1993. And they remanded the case for review back to the federal district court. So they're like, shit's gotten fucked up. Let's send it back. It's gotten weird. Yeah. It kind of keeps getting weirder. This part was like snooze fest while I was drinking. So I'm trying to keep up, but like I'm it's drunk lawyer time. Yeah, it's yeah, (laughs) it is. So September 2nd of 1998, Betty's habeas corpus relief was denied. This was, of course, appealed again by her legal team. And on June 28th of 1999, the Fifth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals affirmed the district court's denial of the relief. Right. So now we're to 1999. I know that's she's definitely like parlayed it out. (laughs) Parlay is not the right word. That is Pirates of the Caribbean. But I don't know what the word is. Oh, my God. I love that. Parlay. Parlay. Okay. So, mind you, like, this all started back in 1985. So, now we're to 1999. And she's still going to court. This does make more sense now. Like, in the, Mm -hmm. in, like, this era, there's a lot of appeals. It takes Mm -hmm. a long time to get to court. Like, in, like, the 50s and whatnot, it's like, here, you got two months. We're going to hang you. Mm Mm-hmm. And so... And in cases like episode three, right, where child murderer dude. Oh, yeah. He didn't do any of this shit, but she's like going for it. She's like, I want to appeal all this stuff. So, I mean, it went through the court system at almost all levels. At almost all levels. Like, it just kept pinging back mm-hmm. to almost the point of annoyance. Yeah. I guess she wants to just to get out, though, is what she's working towards. Not to just not get the death penalty. She wants to be free. She does, yeah. And several more motions were filed and denied. But like I said, kind of snooze fast, so I kind of blacked out on that part. Let's all black out, listeners. (laughs) Yeah. On January 18th of 2000, the Supreme Court denied Betty's petition for Saoirse Rory, however you say that. (laughs) Sorry, folks. Not a lawyer or a Latin linguist. Fuck no. And Betty's execution was scheduled for February 24th of 2000. So mind you, this all started back in 1985. Now we're to the year 2000. So it's 15 years. Not bad. Avoidance. Yeah. Who's paying her lawyers? Does she have money? She does not have money, but she has a huge support from people who oppose the death penalty based on battered women's syndrome. And we will kind of... Oh, yeah, that's a thing for sure. Okay. Talk about that. I mean, not in depth, but we'll talk about it a little bit. But the big question here, right, is, is Betty a black widow? Is she a cold-hearted, husband-murdering bitch? Or is she 
committing these crimes because she's a victim suffering from battered woman syndrome. I think she murdered the wrong husbands. She did murder the wrong husbands, yes. But the biggest factor in Betty's case is that through her trials, she was actually not allowed to talk about her lifetime of abuse. And so she had a lot of supporters that was like, and battered women syndrome at the start of this was not really technically a thing, but it came to light and was named and stuff like that during the process of her appeals. But like there is battered women syndrome, right? So yeah. And, and what these advocates wanted is they wanted the courts to look at her history of psychological, mental and physical abuse, because they believe that it played a huge factor in these crimes. However, The opposing side was like, basically what you said, right? She killed the wrong fucking husbands. No, but, okay, I would say, like, she might have battered woman syndrome by this point. And she did kill the wrong husbands. But she, like, her life is not, like, did she ever have a good husband that she could trust? Yes. But by the time she got to them, no. There's a lot of baggage in this, right? Because there's a lot of, like... There's a lot of baggage, but I I also don't want to be, like... Just because you're a nice guy and you marry someone with a lot of baggage, you don't deserve to die either. Especially when you never fucking hit her or abused her and she just thought you were going to. Like, that doesn't excuse, like, what she did. I just keep saying, you have to at least have it happen once so you have the the evidence. Right. Take pictures and then you can, and then you can. Nope. Don't do it, guys. (laughs) Don't hit people. Okay. Just get out of those relationships. Some of her other children would also, like, testify in the courts that, like, they didn't believe that their mom should be set free, necessarily, but she didn't deserve to be executed for the crime, right? They were like, you I could see you did that. a bad fucking thing, but you should just live out your life and face your consequences with, like, life in prison. I mean, I think life in prison is worse than execution, it could be for some people, but for almost everybody. Well, I think for okay. some people though, they're like, I would rather just be done with it. So yeah, it's like, an that's outlet what I'm saying. Life in, in itself. Life in prison is worse than the death penalty because there's no end to it, and you're in a box by yourself mm-hmm. forever. It's almost crueler than capital punishment, to be honest. But not the time to debate this, but. I'm too drunk to debate that. I was just like, <laughs> it to me, one of the many reasons why I'm against the death penalty is because life in prison is worse. But also because there are innocent people on death row and we have definitely yeah. definitely like killed innocent people. We don't we don't have a perfect system. We can't Mm-mm. just start murdering people as a society. I share that in some regards, but like child murderers. Like Wesley Allen Dodd. I know. There are definitely people that I'm just like, fucking shoot them. Yeah. They can fuck the fuck off. They can go all the way down, take a left, and go fuck themselves because they do not deserve to share air. But I also want them to, like, suffer. <laughs> but that's not what what you're supposed to do in capital punishment, so. That's true, too. 
listeners, you can weigh in on our death penalty debate if you want. We've talked about this multiple times. We've talked about this before. I think we're we're both still anti-death penalty, probably for about the same reason, because there are innocent people on death row. Yeah, like poor policemanship, like poor fucking cases. They just got fucked over. Like, right. And the, the, the Innocence Project has like brought this to light, got yeah. people off, like... It's real, and, like, can the state actually just be, like, start murdering people? It is murder. It is, yeah. I'll cover that in Betty Lou's statement here in just a minute, but... Okay, I'll stop talking. (laughs) I'm torn, right? Because, like, in certain instances, I'm like, yeah, like, Innocence Project is doing really good work, and they are freeing people that have been wrongly accused, right, after many years. But then you have these dick wad douchebag serial fucking killers that have admitted to their crimes shown where the fucking bodies are no remorse no fucking remorse those dudes Ugh. fucking off them like be done with them it's, it's really yeah it's a hard it's hard to i'm like case by case basis <laughs> which you can't do in a society i know but, like, but in my I, mind <laughs> i understand like this it's very frustrating it is so And this is a quote from Betty Lou herself, right? So her execution is back on for February 24th of 2000. And her quote is as follows. My time is running out and the state of Texas will pick up where my husband left off. While the Texas law enforcement out there did nothing to help me, it is now legal for them to finish the job. End quote. So essentially, Betty's perspective is like, basically, Texas is going to fucking murder me for protecting myself. And that's her perspective. Which is why I go back to my stop getting married perspective. Right? If you think men are all going to murder you, like, find fulfillment in cats, in art, not gardening, and <laughs> not any, not anything else. But <laughs> Yeah, not baking. <laughs> not baking. We can't do that anymore either. Maybe embroidery? Maybe embroider your feelings yes so again death is looming for betty she's been in prison for 15 plus years now she's fought she's been denied right so this is this is looming this is going to happen so february 16th of 2000 death penalty opponents claim that the then texas governor george w george W. W has signed the death ward on like the most people in Texas. And we'll talk about that. So he refused okay. to grant clemency for political reasons. So remember during this time, he's actually running for president. Oh my God. He t- oh my God. He is. <gasps> One of the, his platforms was he's tough on crime, right? He has it's no nonsense when it comes to this stuff. He's 100% nonsense, but it's fine. Well, there's that. But (laughs) while he was governor of Texas, there were over 100 executions, and he only granted one clemency claim. And that person that he granted clemency for was actually proved to be innocent of the crime. So that was, like, justified. Okay. Which is fair. That's fair, but he did also just pull the trigger on so many more. 100 more. I don't care. Right? Yeah. So, again, 
Betty's execution date is set for February 24th. So that was February 16th. Now we're working into like the week before, right? So February 18th of 2000, Betty's legal team filed a suit against the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles claiming that they were obligated under state law to give clemency consideration to battered women who were convicted of killing family members. So they're really trying to get some sort of of leverage to get at least at minimum a stay of execution so they can have it reviewed again, right, for this battered women syndrome. Yeah. February 22nd of 2000, the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles denied the clemency request. February 23rd, Betty's team filed a motion for a stay of execution. It was denied. Her lawyers were claiming that her civil rights had been violated because she had not been permitted to testify about the abuse of her father and her previous husbands. And this was a big deal. So, like, she even had people from other countries and, like, the United Nations that were trying to get this clemency issued for her because of the abuse that she had suffered. But... Texas is Texas. I mean, no, I can see that she's had a terrible life, but if was Jimmy the last husband who was like a good guy? Yeah. Like then I'm like if I was like part of Jimmy's family, I would I would be bloodthirsty. A part of it as well is right as they're saying he never fucking hit you. He never beat you. He was a good guy. Like to kill him, and I should say at this point, I guess she was charged with killing Wayne but she was never actually indicted for that so they kind of just went with just Jimmy's I maybe could have seen these asking for clemency for like Wayne's death right because he did physically abuse her but Jimmy did not physically (sighs) abuse her yeah so the U.S. District Judge James Nolan said that the motion about her civil rights, right, was, quote, yet another example of a prisoner attempting to delay execution just prior to the execution date, end quote. Well, yeah, they all do that. February 24th, 2000, an hour before the execution, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to intervene on Betty's behalf. A few minutes later, Governor Bush issued his statement that he declined to grant Betty a stay of execution. Betty declined her last meal, and she declined to make a final statement. On February 24th, 2000, at 6.18 p.m. Central Standard Time, Betty Lou Beats was executed by lethal injection. She was the 18th murderer to be executed in the U.S. and the 9th in Texas in the year 2000. Okay, Texas had like half of them. Mm-hmm. Jesus. She was the fourth female murderer to be executed in the U.S. since 1976. And she wow. was the second female murderer to be executed in Texas since 1976. Prior to Betty Lou, Carla Faye Tucker. Oh, was, my God. Mm-hmm. We should do Carla Faye Tucker I know, for sure. yes. She was executed by lethal injection as well on February 3rd of 1998. 
So like I said earlier, the big issue here was whether or not Betty was a cold-blooded killer or was she somehow justified based on the battered women's syndrome. I do have my opinions. I also have my opinions. And I would love the listeners to weigh in as well. And I definitely encourage everyone to check out this investigation discovery It's a show called Evil Lives Here. This is season eight, episode four, Mama Made Me Help. And this is the interview with her daughter, Shirley. And it is so emotional. And when I'm on vacation and super drunk, like, (laughs) it's hard to watch. Oh, God, you watch that on vacation? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's probably why I drank so much. Probably not. That makes not. a lot of sense. Well, you were going to anyway, but it helped. I know. I, I sent the girls a picture of what I packed, which was <laughs> essentially like morning cocktails and evening cocktails. And you I drank prepared. both. You were prepared. Nobody drank with me, though. So oh. I ended up drinking a half of a half gallon in five days. <laughs> so I'm pretty proud of myself. Well, yeah, that's not bad. So I have astrology for... Betty. So Betty's case is done. She died. Womp womp. <laughs> she did have a lot of dreams though and she was kind of romantic. She kept trying which is not a Capricorn thing to do in love. No. But let me tell you Betty almost all Pisces in her chart. Oh she's a watery bitch. Yeah. So Sun, Moon, Mercury all in Pisces. Uh-huh. Oh that's like me but with Capricorn. Right? So <laughs> Pisces Uh. literally lights up Betty's chart. However, unlike our resident Pisces, Sarah, I don't know that Betty is quite as evolved. No, I don't think so, but she never got the opportunity. That's true. So we'll give her kind of a pass on that. But typically, so a sun and a moon Pisces would be an empathetic and artistic type person. They would be giving and they would also need to be very cautious not to give too much to too many, right? Because that's in the Pisces nature. exactly. And then super friendly and approachable and a very good storyteller when they are in that sociable mood. But I don't really feel like Betty picks up this Pisces vibe necessarily. It seems like she never learned empathy. No. It's not necessarily her fault, but I think I told somebody else this recently, and this is from my other favorite podcast, last podcast on the left. Uh, Marcus Parks says, mental illness is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. True. And I think that goes the same for like, your childhood is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to, like, acknowledge and improve. To acknowledge it and, like, work on it. Like, Mm -hmm. and, like, I've made that my motto, basically, with my mental health struggles. Like, this is not my fault, but I do need to deal with it. Yeah, you need to handle it. A side note, have you ever seen the movie The Last House on the Left? No, but apparently that's what the the name is from. (laughs) Okay. That is like the worst movie on the fucking planet, but you cannot stop fucking watching it because you're like, what the fuck happens? That's why they did it, basically, I think, because it was like terrible, but like you can't turn away. You can't. And essentially, spoiler alert, like the mom in that basically bites off a dick to like save stuff. So (laughs) anyways, watch it. it. Don't watch it. It's fine. 
It is a terrible fucking train wreck of a movie, though. I don't want to watch it by myself, but I could watch it with other people, it sounds like. We could watch, like, just the last 15 minutes, because essentially that's all you need to watch. Perfect. When I come down to sack down. And there's a, a dick biting. Yeah, it's a big dick biting, too. Not like the dick's big, but, like, she, like, goes for the gusto. <laughs> She's like, fuck you, I'm getting out of this situation. I love it. <laughs> so, again, that Pisces energy really is, it's so, like, dreamy. And when your moon is in Pisces, you get this extra air of, like, romantic and sensual nature. It's easy for Pisces to fall in love fast, which definitely fits (laughs) with Betty. Yeah. But it also means that you're very gentle, kind, and creative, which doesn't really flow with Betty. So I don't <sighs> I don't necessarily see those, but I don't know that she also had the opportunity to explore that side of herself either, based on her situation. So Yeah, like she just it was bad. It she did keep trying. She did. She did which try. Which is like and she's had a worse go of it than I have, and I'm done. Yeah. And she kept trying. Like, yeah. So there's something there about the romanticism, but there's something there too about the it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yeah. And you never addressed that. It was the 70s and 80s. So she really didn't have the capacity. I don't know what you would yeah. do. It just sucks. It sucks. Mm hmm. Because I don't know what she would do, but like if Jimmy was a great guy. Like, he should not have been murdered. Like, there's all this fucking hell, true crime. Why is it a comfort? I know. But essentially, less evolved Pisces, so a.k.a. not Sarah, <laughs> is going to be super sensitive, super moody. They're going to be indecisive. Mm. They're going to suffer from a very low self-esteem. They are very weak-willed. They avoid taking responsibility at all costs. And they can be quite lazy. So I think Betty falls more into the less of She evolved. really does. Mm-hmm. And... I see that for sure. Maybe it's because of her circumstances. Maybe that's why she's less evolved. I think it is. Like, I was saying about Marcus Wesson. Like, he's a Leo. Mm-hmm. Thinks he's God. But he was able to control those kids because he groomed them. Mm-hmm. Those are different things. Yeah, this is totally so, like, separate. Betty's background... It's really bad. Yeah. I mean, it's awful. Nobody should have to go through that type of stuff. Oh, God. But also, on the flip side of it, she put her children through a very similar situation emotionally. She really did. And she did kill two people. Yeah. Two people under the same fucking wishing well. Jesus. I know. Like, find another spot. But definitely moody. Definitely touchy. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely think the low self-esteem thing played a factor, right? She never really had the opportunity to, like, figure out who she was as a person and, like, boost her self-esteem. Like, she always felt like she was behind the curve almost, like, education-wise, with her disability-wise, like, just in so many different factions of her life, she, like, really had very low self-esteem and... I know that she probably tried, but there was also that element of the avoidance of taking responsibility for herself and, like, 
like when we talked in Tin Can Holler, like I talked about Rosetta, Rosie, right? And uh-huh. she really acknowledged like this is fucked up and mm-hmm. I have to break the cycle for my children. Like it's super important to me to acknowledge what fucking happened was fucked the fuck up. Mm-hmm. But not to put that on my own children and to like fix it to give them a better life. And in this case, I don't I just don't think that Betty had that notion in her mind and she didn't have like the capability to do that for her children. So it really just was a continuation of the same cycle of abuse, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, because like I don't think everyone can do what Rosie did. I know like and like it's just this like I feel bad for like everyone involved in this. Mm-hmm. And I hope the next generation is breaking the cycle. Yeah. Hopefully. There's a lot of resources now maybe that can help you out. But I just, I can imagine Betty Lou just be like completely isolated. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I feel very bad for her. Like, she never, I, won't, I don't want to say she never had a chance, but she's been sexually abused by her father at 12. At 5. Ah! Okay, I forgot about a bit drinking. And Five. his friends. And his friends was just disgusting. Yeah, yeah and like ah. it's fucking tough. It's so tough. And like you want her to be able to recover from that, but I I feel like at the same time, they just like mental health and like trauma wasn't treated the same way. Mm-mm. And nope. it's still a stigma, I feel like. Oh yeah. But there are at least people that are therapists that are trained to try to help you yeah i think they're more knowledgeable in this day and age yes than they were back i think then. so too mm-hmm. Ugh. super bummer of a fucking case there's a lot yeah, of controversy hell, <laughs> i know this is what i wrote on vacation yay well i also said i was gonna do a fun case after marcus wesson and i think i might end up with a two-parter not so fun okay well you know it is what it is, folks. You know, we what? are a true crime podcast. It happens. And we're doing a good job. We're on episode 69. Yeah. I know. This is very impressive. Hello, Germany. Hello. So I do have a dog. The gate is in. Good. Sehr gut. Nicht so good. What's that one thing you say about the school? They sishula. Dishula is Ruben. I will use that someday on our European tour. You can point to a school at some point and just say that. Oh, that will be so great. Then I will have lived up to that lifelong goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do have a few astrological tidbits for the upcoming week. And okay. this episode airs on August 8th, hopefully. Fingers crossed. We'll see. It's fine. Whenever it airs, it's fine. It may be the 9th. I'm going to really push for the 8th. <laughs> I tend to do well during times of procrastination, but we'll see how it works. Because I also that helps me to, as well. have to get a dress fitted this weekend, and I ate a giant pretzel over this last week, so <laughs> I don't know how well that dress will fit. Anyways, so this... Episode is going to air on Monday, August 8th, and there are some 
weird, interesting astrological things that happen. Thursday, August 11th is going to be a day full of shit, we'll say. So number one, we get a full moon in Aquarius, right? And Aquarius is our fun, weird peeps. Individualistic. I love them. Mm -hmm. I do as well. This lunation really is going to give us the ideal time to start to remove toxicity from our lives, which is great. Aquarius doesn't stand for that shit. So it's going to help us let go of what's not good for us, and it's going to help us find a way and give us energy to develop healthier relationships, which I really love. Yeah, that's great. Also, Venus enters Leo... That's a lot. It is. It's super a lot because the planet of love, when in the sign of the very proud and prideful Leo, will give us a few weeks that are filled with some very grandiose gestures of love. Which I do not trust at all. No. It is also going to be very easy for us to express the love that we feel No. Capricorn. (laughs) Wait, my favorite Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that it doesn't have to be romantic expressions of love. It could simply be an expression of love for Taco Bell or cats. Oh, or podcast hosts. Yeah, or our podcast hosts. Okay. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, love, love, right? It can be, like, a love of things, but it's going to be easier for us to express, like, the things that we love while Venus is in Leo. And it's going to be a few weeks, so just FYI. I know. I do make the mistake of just thinking romantic love when I hear Venus. It is relationships as a whole. I'm just, I'm just wounded. It's okay. We are going to get you past that wound with Taco Bells and Cats. Bells? I'm working on it. That doesn't sound right. I've only, I usually go to just one Taco Bell. <laughs> Same location, but. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're, yeah, whatever. We're going to work through this. So also on Thursday 11th, like I said, this day is like crazy pants. The sun yeah. in Leo is going to be square and right squares are want want. It's going to be square with Uranus and Taurus. So while we're having this like positive and lovey kind of energy from the full moon and Venus entering Leo, this square, is, it has the potential to kind of knock us off our feet. So it's going to be wise also on this day to move slowly and to try carefully, like just be safe, friends. Be safe. I mean, the Taurus influence might bring some down-to-earth energy to it it can you don't get lost in the leoness but it's also like it's gonna like smack you in the face yeah just be be careful while you're expressing your love like taurus can do that (laughs) just be careful just be careful folks it is a bull right it's got the potential to just knock your fucking shit out Mm mm-hmm And then on Sunday, August 14th, we've got two things going on. So Mars and Taurus is going to be trine, which we love trines, with Pluto and Capricorn. And we love Capricorns. And this gives us a very confident energy 
And it allows us to tap into our inner power and push ourselves beyond our self-imposed boundaries. Oh, God, I have so many. But you can take baby steps, too. So if it's try that restaurant you've been wanting to, to try, if it is, you know, like you've been going to game nights and stuff on Wednesday, right? So like you're already pushing I'm trying. Pushing some of those boundaries. So, I mean, yeah. this is just, like, it gives us the boost to, like, really kind of focus on the things that are kind of holding us back and, like, try to move past them. I'm going to get brunch by myself at this place in Woodland. Oh, and you're going to have a mimosa or a Bloody Mary, right? I think they only serve coffee at this place I'm thinking of. But That's sad. It'll be okay. Just Make it an Irish coffee. I'll bring my own booze. <laughs> B-Y-O-B. We're not alcoholics on most days. Um, most days. And then, but also on Sunday, August 14th. So this is a mixed bag, right? The sun in mm-hmm. Leo is going to be in opposition with Saturn in Aquarius, which gives us an entire 24-hour period of feeling insecure. Wow. Okay, that is a mixed bag. Right? So just try to not take things seriously. You've already got this, like, this trine that's giving you the energy to tap in, to push your boundaries. And then you have this, like, insecurity. But, like, acknowledge that like you have to work past some of these insecurities to like get to where you need to be so I think it could be an enlightening day and if you don't want it to be an enlightening day then stay home avoid people and try again (laughs) next week right yeah just use Sunday as your prep day yeah take a nap relax take a fucking nap Maybe make some food, like yeah. But Just that is treat yourself. What I have for you this week. I did not anticipate that it would be this long. I well, you did not anticipate that I pre-gamed and I was ready to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. It's totally fine. So we did not sign off last week, so listeners, I apologize for that. Not that any of you email us, but if you want to. You can connect with us on Twitter. We are at True Trine. On Instagram at True Crime Trine. Facebook TCT Podcast. You can email us directly. We love emails. If you have any questions about whether the person reading the email would be like grossed out or worried, put hand on the subject line. I wouldn't be grossed out or worried. I would just forward it to Hannah to answer. Okay, that's fair too. I'd be like, this is this is one for Hannah. This is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then please check out our website. It's www.truecrimetrying.com. We love our listeners. We really do. And we miss Sarah. German especially. And we love Germany. Be friends with me. And we will visit you guys someday as we check off our TCT bucket list. And for now, we will parlay. We will parlay and say bye. Bye. Awesome. (laughs) Holy shit.
music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.